Pastor Xavier Reese explains what happens when all hell breaks loose. Look around you. Do you think that all the gang banging that goes on, the young kids that get killed, all the atrocities of war, all the inhumane things that go on, the burning of six million Jews, the persecution of six million, if not more, Christians at the same time and through the ages, do you think it's just by chance? It's all satanic. The God of this world. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, and unquenchable fire. The Bible speaks of hell in some very vivid terms, but what happens when Satan releases his kingdom here on earth? Today, as he continues teaching from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Pastor Xavier offers the only true source of freedom that can keep the kingdom of hell from enlisting you as one of its citizens. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11 for today's important study appropriately titled, O Lucifer. The whole world lies in the sway of the evil one, Poneros. 1 John 5, 19 tells us. The whole world. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning... You are serving the God of this world, Satan. We're not saying you're demon-possessed. We're saying that you're serving the God of this world, Satan. Because there's only two families on this earth. The family of God and the family of Satan. In the family of Satan, there's those who are lost and those who are possessed. In the family of God, there are those who are carnal and those who yield the possession of the power of the Spirit of God. Notice, secondly, the personal words of Satan. They're very, very important. Verse 13 and 14. First of all, the words are said to be said in his heart. Now, you know what the heart is, right? It's evil, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 79. Jesus says in John 15, in Matthew 15 that it's from the heart that proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, adultery, so on and so forth. Lucifer's five I wills are found here in Isaiah. But Ezekiel gives us the I wills of God that responds to his threats. So next to this, write Ezekiel 28, 16 through 18. And I'm going to give them to you as we go along. So you don't have to be turning back and forth. Just stay in Isaiah and you'll compare them. Notice first, Satan said he would take over heaven. Here's his first I will. I will ascend into heaven. Listen to God's first I will. Verse 16 of Ezekiel 28. I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. God is the authority. Many things that Satan says, but it doesn't make them true. In fact, he's called the lie in Scripture. Satan said he would overthrow God. His second I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars are angels. He tried to do that already. It failed. He promises he's going to do that. God's second I will says, I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. He removed him. Satan's third I will here says he will sit on the place of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of of the north. Now, we've just talked about the Antichrist in our previous chapters. 
And in 2 Thessalonians, the Antichrist will go into the temple after he helps the Jews rebuild it. And what does he declare himself to be? God. And that's when Israel flees. The abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. The Antichrist is the incarnation of Satan as much as Jesus Christ was the incarnation of God. You must understand that. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. God's rebuttal. On the third I will, I cast you to the ground. Humbles him. Satan said he would live in the abode of God. Here's his fourth I will. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. God said, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You want to be seen? I'll let you be seen humiliated. Satan said he would be God. His fifth I will, I will be like the most high. God's rebuttal, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. He's no competition for God. It is amazing the things that we can convince ourselves about. Having no chance of victory. Because we trust in ourselves. We have persuaded ourselves. We have repeated the lie long enough to where we have come to believe it. This is what the world does. If you say something long enough and repetitively enough, no matter how wrong it is, you get to believe it. The whole philosophy of our society. Good's evil and evil's good. It didn't come overnight. It took 30 years to bring this philosophy about for all society to embrace it. Now, these are his words. He's serious. There are only three places in Scripture where we have the actual conversations of Satan, and they teach us very, some important things. Let me give them to you. First conversation is found, as you know, in Genesis, where Satan slanders God to man in Genesis 3. He slanders God to man by questioning God's word to stir up doubt. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And that's one of his attacks. Has God said, oh, come on, you've got your act together. You know how far to go. You are ahead of people. You are special. Sure are. Especially dumb. Hmm. He slanders God to man by saying God lies to bring about mistrust. You will not surely die. Listen, God just doesn't want you to have fun. You, you can handle it. Nothing wrong with this. It's fun. He magnifies the benefit and he minimizes the consequences all the time. He slanders God to man by stating that God is trying to keep us from what is good and beneficial for us to cause us to rebel and disobey. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is trying to hold you back. He doesn't want you to be your own person. He wants to keep you under his thumb. 
Is not a lot of people see Christianity and give their life to God? Hmm. They say, well, you know, Jesus is your crutch. He's not my crutch. He's my bed. I put my entire weight upon him all the time. Now, the second conversation is found in the book of Job. When Satan slanders man to God. The first one was what? Slanders God to man. Now the second conversation, he slanders man to God. That's, that's all he has. Those are the only two directions he goes. Job 1, chapter 1 and 2, if you've ever read it, you're familiar with it. In chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, he slanders Job before God, saying that he was faithful only because God had protected him and put a hedge around his, him and his household and prospered him. Oh, he just serves you because you've blessed him. You protect him. God says, go ahead, but don't touch him. Took everything from him. Job maintained his integrity, did not curse God. Came up a second time, slandered Job before God a second time, saying that if Job's health was removed, he would curse him in chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Skin for skin, yea, will a man give all that he has. And that's, that's a true principle. You know, when it push comes to shove and someone's got a gun in your brains, you say, hey, take it. Whatever it is that he wants. Because you know that if you're dead, it's not going to help you anyway. Job maintained his integrity in chapter 2. In fact, his wife says, oh, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? He says, you, are you such a foolish woman? Thinking that I can receive good at the hand of God and not evil? Ooh. Job committed himself to God. He acknowledged the sovereign faithfulness of God. Now, a lot of the faith teachers today say that Job was without faith. That he was foolish. He brought those things upon him because he confessed them. Hmm. They're related to Job's friends, miserable comforters, physicians of no value. They're still around. The third conversation is found in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. There are the other gospels, but that one will do. He tried to tempt Jesus to satisfy his physical hunger for strength rather than drawing strength from God's word. In fact, he tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread in verse 3 and 4. He offered the kingdom of the world, the soul. Nice. Boy, I'd like to have it. Oh, I feel so good about him. Soul, move you, tempt you. He tried to tempt Jesus to tempt God in what he clearly knew was wrong, being presumptuous. He desired Jesus to cast himself from the temple. This is the spirit tempting God. You have body, soul, and spirit. And he always comes in those areas to tempt us, right? And he misquoted scripture saying that the God had given charge to the angels to catch him. Thus, he dashed his foot against a stone out of context. We don't tempt God. God can test us and he'll be faithful. But we don't tempt God. The words of Satan are powerful. You remember Absalom? He sat at the gate, a place of authority. After he had been brought back by his dad. 
And he looked upon the people and he says, oh, if I were ruler, I would hear all these cases. And he would take the people's hand and kiss them. And it says, and he stole the hearts of the people from his father David. Mmm, that's Satan. Oh, he'll tell you all kinds of stuff. He'll promise you so much, but he can deliver very, very little. And once you're destroyed, he moves on to the next person. Doesn't matter. His activity within the church is clear in Scripture. The church of Smyrna was persecuted by the Jews who were of the synagogue of Satan in Revelation 2, 8, and 9. Only 60 years after Christ died, the church was already infiltrated by Satan. Satan made his way into the church of Pergamos and had established his throne in it, Revelation 2, 12, and 13. Satan managed to contaminate the entire church of Thyatira and made it his home, Revelation 2, 18 through 20. The parable of the tares reveals the tares, the children of the wicked one, the enemy, Satan, and the weed, the children of God, in contrast and opposition. And he says, don't pluck them out. Let them grow together. The angels will sift them out and separate them in the day, lest you pluck up some of the wheat with the tares. You see, carnal Christians look just like tares. So you have to be careful. <laughs> God will separate it in the end. We are told by John that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You must understand that if you're a child of God. In fact, the wicked one cannot touch you without his permission, 1 John 5.18 says. So you have the basis of Job. God puts a hedge. God brings it down when he wants to. These are the personal words of Satan. Are you falling prey to them? Are you trusting yourself? Do you think that you are beyond God? Or that you are God? Notice thirdly the prophetic destiny of Satan. It's short, verses 15 through 17. First of all, Satan will be condemned like all others. Don't miss that. Satan would be brought down to Sheol. Verse 15. He is one like any other rebel. He is accountable to God. Jesus didn't argue or deny that the kings of the world belonged to him. But when Jesus went to the cross, he destroyed him. He knocked out all his teeth at the cross, and all he can do is gum you now. <laughs> you can't bite. Jesus defeated him. In fact, Isaiah 45, 18, Jeremiah 4, 23, 27 tells us how he has devastated the world. God's sixth I will fits good here. I turn you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. He cast him out. Satan would be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit, he says there in verse 15. Bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years as we've seen in Revelation 20 during the millennial kingdom. Cast in the lake of fire at the end, Revelation 20. He's not king of hell or the lake of fire. He is one of many who end up there. Jesus is the king of hell. 
Jesus is the king of the lake of fire. For they are tormented day and night, forever and ever, in the presence of his holy angels, Revelation says. Now notice, secondly, Satan will be seen for who he is. Those who see you will gaze at you. Remember that in the immediate fulfillment, he is talking about the king of Babylon. Long-term Babylon, the last day kingdom of the Antichrist. He says, those who see you will consider you. They will attempt to make the relationship to all that has come about and has been done through him. When they look at him, when we look at him, we say, is that him? That's the one? They will be in disbelief of him. Notice thirdly, Satan will shock those who see him. The latter portion of verse 16 there and 17. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is this the man who shook kingdoms? Is this the man who made the world as a wilderness? Is this the man who destroyed its cities? Look around you. Do you think that all the gang banging that goes on, the young kids that get killed, all the atrocities of war, all the inhumane things that go on, do you think it's just by chance or do you think Satan's behind it? The burning of six million Jews, the persecution of six million, if not more, Christians at the same time and through the ages. It's all satanic. The God of this world. This is the man who did not open the house of the prisoners. Jesus said in Isaiah 61, as we're going to get there, and he quoted in the synagogue of Nazareth, he opened up the book. He says he came to set the captives free. Those captives that Satan holds in sin. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he's holding you captive right now. You are a slave to sin. You serve Satan through sin. Sin leads you like a bull with a ring in its nose. You are not your own person. He wants to set you free. For whoever the Son says free, he is free. Indeed, you can say no to sin. You can live for God by his grace. Satan. The interesting thing is that he is used by God at times as his instrument. God is under full control and authority. Keep that in mind. Ephesians 2.21 says that Jesus is seated far above all principalities, power, might, and dominions. That's talking about angelic hosts. He's above them. You remember in 1 Samuel 16, 14, and 23 that an evil spirit distressed Saul from the Lord. God sent a distressing spirit, an evil spirit, the spirits, even fallen spirits, are under the control of God. He's in control. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 27, he gave permission to Judas to betray him, Satan having entered him. What you do, go and do quickly. He released him. Satan was an instrument of God. Satan was used to move the Pharisees to plot the death of Jesus, which God had planned. Yet in all this, he never violates free will. That's the amazing thing. 
Jesus said to Peter, Satan wanted to sift you out as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not in Luke 22, 31 and 32. God is greater. In fact, God will use Satan to discipline children of his many times. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Turn that man over to Satan, who? The young man that was sleeping with his stepmother. That his flesh may be destroyed, but his spirit may be saved. How interesting. His names and titles are many. Satan appears 56 times in the Bible. It means adversary opposer, both in the Old and New Testament. Devil appears 38 times in the New Testament. It means slander, one who trips up, purposes to defame God and Christ. Old serpent expresses the experience of subtlety, craftiness, deceit. Great dragon, power, destruction. The evil one in source and nature, not content unless he seeks to corrupt and pervert others. Destroyer, Abaddon, Apollyon. A roaring lion, one that captures. A lion roars after he catches his prey, not before he would scare him away. Tempter, one to entice you to do evil. Accuser, one who charges you before the throne of God. Deceiver, one who counterfeits, disguises, and schemes. But you know what? He's a defeated foe. Jesus stripped him of his authority. Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8 tells us. The grave could not hold Jesus in Acts 2, 24. He says Satan was judged in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. Past tense. He disarmed principalities and powers, making a public display of them, triumphing over them in Colossians 1, 14. He led captive the captivity, giving gifts to men for the perfection of the saints. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 15. He's in control. But Jesus also revealed his destiny. In Revelation 19, 11 through 21, Satan's going to be there at the Battle of Armageddon. And he's going to be destroyed. He loses the war. He's bound for a thousand years, as we said in Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3, in the bottomless pit with a chain. He's cast in the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 10 along with the Antichrist and the false prophet who have been there for a thousand years. Because you see, the lake of fire was made for no one but Satan and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. But the tragedy is that there will be countless of hundreds and thousands of people who will be there not having to be there. It was written from the beginning. Genesis 3, 15 says, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent will... Strike your heel, bruise your heel, temporary wound on the cross. But the seed of the woman, Christ, will strike your head. A mortal blow. From the beginning, God says, don't freak out, we win. You don't have to turn to the end of the book to find out the end. Read the beginning, and you'll know the end. This is the prophetic destiny of Satan. And so we have looked at Satan as Isaiah reveals to us the nature of the world by his influence through these three things. The person of Satan, the personal words of Satan, and the prophetic destiny of Satan. Now what side are you on? I hope you're on the right side. Because Jesus is coming. So is the Antichrist. I don't plan on being here for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. 
But in between, I've got to serve somebody. It's either Christ or Satan. One of the two. Pastor Xavier Reese, ending our study of Satan from Isaiah chapter 11 by reminding us of his defeat from the beginning of the world. Today's message, O Lucifer, is available for only $4. We can send you a copy on CD. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is, O Lucifer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, we'll see the steadfast love of God shining brightest during time of tribulation. More from the prophet Isaiah next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com